Hey there, homies. This is Sarah. And this is Ashley. And this is Hometown Homicide. Sorry for the impromptu break. Life has been beating the shit out of me, so... We're here. I apologize. And for all of you new listeners, thank you for joining us. We hope you like what you hear. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Our, our newest listener, probably, uh, will be named Hadley once she's born in the next day or two, because our friend Casey is currently in the hospital, like, getting induced. Her baby shower was a couple weeks ago, which I was doing decorations for that getting things ready and looks so cute did you okay i was gonna say did you see the pictures uh it was it was fun to do Allie, she was like the the other host she like organized the invites for their work friends and whatever and printed off the games and stuff and um figured out food and whatnot cupcakes and and all that jazz but i got to do the decor and it was it was exciting it was was a spooky baby shower yes yes um, complete with a, a witchy recipe on how to make a Hadley. Oh. Yeah. It was one part, or equal parts Ben and Casey. Two scoops of love for Harry Potter, I think is what I put. A global pandemic and a dash of corgi hair. <laughs> Sir Corgi's name is Neville. So Which I took Neville for a walk today. And Neville! It's a good time. He's adorbs. Side note that I was going to tell you and I forgot. Uh, my friend at work, Maddie, she ordered one of our sweatshirts from okay. the Etsy shop and she put it on yesterday to, to, at the end of her shift to leave. She's like, I'm not gonna lie. This is like my favorite sweatshirt right now. I'm mm-hmm. like, cool. Thanks. Good. Good, good, good. And then also to a uh, side project that we were working on. Yes. Is now live. Okay. Yes. The, the podcast that we were honored to be part of we got to do the introductions for each each episode um the it's a series called tilmer a first-hand crime series and back one of our first episodes ashley had covered um the murder of carol swoboda thompson which is his grandma which is yes this our friend lance it was his grandmother and he came across our podcast when doing research into her life and her murder and whatnot um it is uh tilmer.podbean.com we can drop the link in the show notes um all five episodes are up um with some pictures and stuff and he's interviewing his dad about what he remembers about the you know circumstances and her life because lance never got to meet her and it's just kind of interesting to hear family members perspective because her kids were young mm-hmm. and she and she was, was killed. taken away yeah um and thank you again lance for your patience on all kinds of everything i messaged him the other day i'm like i'm sorry i'm the worst person on the planet and he replied he's like no kanye's still alive <laughs> i can think of some other people that would <laughs> above kanye so let's add elon musk to that Uh, on that list so (laughs) 
firing 75% of Twitter because he had to buy them when he was the one who offered to, but I digress. <laughs> Not getting into that. Speaking of firing, a uh, girl got fired at my work last week, so that was part of why I was... Oh my god! I got fired. And I just been... <laughs> I just been for doing so, my job properly. Well, yeah, <laughs> but. and you know, management doesn't discuss with us little peons what happened. But all in all, we had to kind of absorb some of her work. So then I picked up an extra shift, and then my allergies were kicking my ass, which I thought I was getting sick because I'm an idiot and I thought allergies were done because it frosted. But because I've never had to deal with allergies like this before. So I'm like, oh, I must just be getting sick. Um, cause that's why we didn't record the couple of weeks ago. And cause I wasn't getting all like gross. And, uh, I'm like, oh, it's allergies. Duh. Okay. That makes sense. Harvest and whatnot. Yep. And then, uh, I also didn't know that that could morph into like a sinus infection. So I was dealing with that earlier this week. Oh, shoot. Yeah. I, I was like, I, these are things I didn't know. Because I never had to deal with it before. So I've been on all kinds of drugs this week and I feel real good. Claritin, Mucinix, fucking, what's the other one? Uh, Claritin, Mucinix. Oh, and Sudafed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Drugs, 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 drugs. Yeah, I thought, because <laughs> my allergies have been really bad. My mom's like, oh yeah, frost, you won't have to deal with that. Well, they are in the fields. Mm-hmm. And it's just my eyes water. My nose runs. Mm-hmm. I cannot stop sneezing. I thought maybe I'm allergic to the cats. Maybe I am. <laughs> um, then I'll just have to deal with it. I was getting paranoid. Like, God, do I have? Do I have COVID again? Do I have the the variant? Do I have the flu? Do I have something else? And then I'm like looking up symptoms, and every time I'm like, Duh, Sarah, you're sneezing. You are fucking dealing with allergies. Like, every time I'm like, well, I have that symptom. I have that symptom. I'm like, oh, dear. Oh, my God. Monday this week, the pressure between my eyeballs was terrible. And then by the end of Tuesday, it had migrated to, like, in front of my ears. It was awful. But then all of these drugs this week, I feel fucking fantastic. Yeah. I, I... Just today has been a great day. Um, it has been a good day. Tay Tay dropped a new album. Yes. Hey, I'm, hey. Not, I'm not even a Swifty. I'm not. I will admit it. I'm not a Swifty. But I loved Reputation. I loved that album. And this one, I feel like it's kind of up there with Reputation. Woke up this morning. I wasn't one of those people that was like, oh my God, I have to wait till midnight. Nope. Didn't do that. Woke up, listened to it. I'm like, I'm digging this. <laughs> Listen to Karma, loved it, and listened to it oh all goodness. day long, <laughs> and then I got a message like, you need to buy a lottery ticket because your horoscope's really good today, your karma's good today. I'm like, is it? I'm feeling good. So, of course, I got some lottery tickets, maybe have some good news. Uh, you guys probably won't care, and actually, I'm sure you won't care, but I am currently second place in my fantasy football league, mm-hmm. and I'm pretty fucking excited about it. I mean, Not gonna lie. Good for you, but yeah, I don't care. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's it's been a it's been a good year. I I put a little more thought into my picks, and I'm I'm doing well. Good job. Proud of myself. I'm the only girl in the league. Fucking excited. Good job. Yeah, yeah I'm proud of you. Hey, got me. 
Any other, anything that you can think of that we need to touch on? Um, the only thing is, you know, if you are listening, if you are new, if you've been around for a while, if you like what you hear, please leave us a review. Yeah. Uh, Apple, Spotify, Good Pods. Facebook. Facebook. It does help us out, helps us get out to more people, and mm. it costs nothing. Yeah. It's free. It's just a little friendly like, hey. Are you ready? I'm ready. Yay, team. Okay. Two things we haven't covered yet. A spree killer and an old-timey killer. Okay. A couple weeks ago, I accidentally stumbled across a case that is both, and that has also made a few cultural influences. Ashley and I have said from the beginning that we want to bring you lesser-known stories and bring light to past victims, as everyone should be remembered. This case is one that may seem that I'm just telling a story of mayhem and tragedy with no real focus on the victims. In some cases, especially these lesser-known instances, it can be difficult to get details of the people involved, depending on either what the media has decided to cover and dig into or how old the story is, unfortunately, sometimes decides how much information there is to pass down. But there is another way to look at these stories where we know a lot about the perpetrator and his or her story. We can look at them as a cautionary tale. Not every horrible thing is done by someone that everyone around them recognized as bad or troubled, but sometimes in hindsight, there were definite signs. Maybe we can take these cases as opportunities to recognize signs early on and try to get people out of their terrible homes or relationships, get them help that they desperately need, or just be a friend to someone that feels isolated and alone. Or if it's past the point of no return, stop something horrendous from happening. Today's story takes us to Nebraska. On November 24th, 1938, in Lincoln, Nebraska, Charles Raymond Starkweather was born to his parents, Guy and Helen. And he was... Starkweather. Starkweather. Sounds very Game of Thrones. Starkweather. I don't know. I didn't watch Game of Thrones, so I couldn't tell you. Okay. He was the third of seven children. Guy Starkweather, a mild-mannered carpenter troubled with rheumatoid arthritis, and Helen, an occasional waitress when supplemental income was needed, were said to have well-behaved children and were a respectable, hard-working family, though poor and uneducated. Unfortunately, as Charles went through childhood and early adolescence, some afflictions came apparent that put him in the wrong kind of spotlight. Classmates teased Charles for his speech impediment, and he had also been born with a mild defect that made his legs misshapen, so they were like kind of bow-legged. He seemed to be a slow learner and was also accused of not applying himself in school. It wasn't discovered until he was 15 that Charles had severe myopia, which is an eyesight issue more commonly known as nearsightedness. I was like, myopia, that sounds so familiar. (laughs) I'm a dumbass because I have myopia. (laughs) Um, And nearsighted is you see... See close. And that... I have that then too. Yes. Well, that's why I kind of looked at you when I said myopia. You just were like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. Anyone with myopia knows that reading a chalkboard, which I put kids back in our day, we had actual chalkboards in the classrooms, not whiteboard, or before whiteboards we even. We had whiteboards. I mean, yeah, but even when you were little, did you have a whiteboard? 
I know we had chalkboards. I'm sure we did. Because one of our art teachers was allergic to chalk dust. There was a whole fucking thing. You had to keep everything real clean. (laughs) Fucking Monty Panthers, you know what's up. Anyone with myopia knows that reading a chalkboard, it was impossible to read without your glasses. It was said that Charles couldn't even read the biggest letter on the eye chart. So he couldn't even see the E, which I kind of wondered about you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see at least like four or five lines down or something. I can't see shit. (laughs) Though not good at school, Charles did excel in gym class. It was an outlet that he was able to use his pent-up anger from being bullied, which then led him to turning the tables and being a bully himself. Oh, how the turntables have turned. (laughs) That's exactly what I was thinking when I wrote that. First to his own bullies, and then he moved on to anyone that displeased him in some way. One classmate and friend said that if Charles liked you, he was the kindest person you'd ever see. But if he decided he didn't, he could be downright cruel. In 1955, the movie Rebel Without a Cause was released, featuring the ever-dreamy James Dean. It was a coming-of-age drama about, whoops, about emotionally confused suburban middle-class teenagers. James Dean had that classic greaser look with tight jeans, a leather jacket, and slicked back hair. Charles was 16 going on 17 when the movie was released, and he easily identified with and admired James Dean's character, even going so far as styling his hair and wardrobe after Dean's rebellious screen persona. Honestly, the first couple pictures I saw of Charles Starkweather, my initial thought was, wow, very James Dean. There's, I put a little note, there's a little contradiction on Charles' age at this time of events, depending on the source, but when Charles was 18-ish, maybe 17, he met a pretty 13-year-old girl with dark brown hair named Carol Ann Fugate. Kind of young, though, for him. A little bit. As I say kind of, I mean... A child. Yes. Yes. As one of his buddies... Oh, he met her as... uh, Because one of his buddies was dating Carol's older sister. Okay. Apparently, it was love at first sight. He imprinted, if you will. And she was impressed by his toughness. Okay, Twilight. His looks and his cars. Carol had a rebellious streak in her, a hot temper, and also was a slow learner. But to Charles, she was everything. She meant more to him than anything had before, and he started, what's up? But she was 13. But she was... Like, you're... I get she's a slow learner, but she's 13. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, there aren't any accounts of any physical stuff between them, so maybe he kept it proper. I don't know. I hope so. Mm. Oh, she meant more to him than anything had before. And he slowly started to hate himself less as he visualized himself through her eyes. So it was like kind of a good thing, but like in a twisted way, if that makes sense. Twisted, yes. Mm-hmm. But then it then it didn't go good. I know that was improper grammar. Don't come at me. <laughs> he didn't <laughs> go good. It didn't go good. Um, <laughs> it was kind of good, but then it didn't go good. Uh, He dropped out of his senior year of high school and got a job at a Western Union newspaper warehouse that was near Carroll's school, which was Whittier Junior High School in Lincoln. Charles visited Carroll every day when she got out of school. 
It was said that Charles wasn't a very good worker and sometimes had to be told two or three times to do something. And I imagine he was too often daydreaming about Carol. They're 13. 13. Their relationship progressed as Charles even taught Carol how to drive. Unfortunately, during one of these driving lessons, she crashed his 1949 Ford into another vehicle. Couldn't have been... 13 and shouldn't be driving. Um... <laughs> it was true. Even worse, his car was technically registered to his father, so Guy paid for the damages. The two men clashed about the situation, and Guy banished Charles from the family home. Mm, eh, it's a little extreme. Well, I mean, you're, one of your sons is dating a 13-year-old and she crashed your car. I'd probably be pissed. Okay. Yeah, going back to the 13 year old, but like, no, 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 no. I thought we're just because he crashed a car. Oh, you're banished. Oh. Very Game of Thrones of you. <laughs> Charles quit his warehouse job and became employed for minimum wage. Became employed for minimum wage as a garbage collector. Hold up, hold up. I got math for you. The pay was $42 a week. Yeah, so do you have any guesses on how much $42 a week equals well, how many, in our... We, how many hours is he working? D- doesn't matter, just a weekly wage. Like, imagine a full work week and you get $42. How much would that be now? Now? Yeah, if you had a guess. Minimum wage, full work week. Numbers are hard. <laughs> um, not enough to do any, I mean... <laughs> Numbers are hard. I mean, they are. I don't know. Do the math for me. <laughs> Forty-two dollars a week in nineteen fifty-seven equates to a little over four hundred and twenty dollars now. So imagine working all week and getting four hundred and twenty dollars. He was often short on rent and would be locked out by the landlady until he could pay up. Born into poverty and living a life of poverty, Charles felt trapped. His mental state was in decline, increasingly hating the world as the days went on. He saw the beautiful homes of the middle to upper class while out collecting their bags of trash. And he loathed who owned them, but also desperately wanted to be them. He used his garbage routes to begin planning bank robberies in fantasies of escaping his current way of living. Charles even dreamed up his own personal belief that he lived by, quote, dead people are all on the same level. Charles's anger at the world came to a head on the night of November 30th, 1957, over a stuffed toy dog. Charles was at a service station and spotted a stuffed toy dog that he wanted to buy for Carol, but he realized that he didn't have enough money to pay for it. He asked the 21-year-old station attendant named Robert Colvert, who had a pregnant wife at home, if he could buy the dog on credit, but Robert refused. Charles left the service station humiliated and angry. He returned a few hours later at 3 a.m. where Robert was still on duty and unluckily alone on shift. First, Charles went in the station and bought a pack of cigarettes and left. Wait. So. So he could afford cigarettes, but not. Hey, I don't know how much shit costs then. Okay. But in relevance of today, a stuffed dog is probably going to cost less than a pack of cigarettes. Cigarettes are wicked expensive now, though, because of all we know. And taxes and everything else. Okay. I feel like back then, cigarettes would have been, like, fucking cheap. Okay. 
I see your point, but... 2020. You got to remember. Back then, it was a different time. Bought the cigarettes and left. He got in his car and started down the road, but then returned. He then went in and bought a pack of gum and once again got in his car and started down the road, but once again returned. Charles was trying to get up the nerve for what his true intentions were, robbery and redemption. On his third entrance to the service station, he brought that nerve with him, having a red bandana obscuring most of his face, a hat on his head, and carrying a 12-gauge shotgun and a canvas bag. Charles instructed Robert to empty the register and open the safe. Robert said only the station owner had the combination to the safe, so Charles had to call the $100 from the register good enough. Which, $42 a week is a $420 thing now. That's $1,000. That's not a bad haul for... Right. for, for I, I mean, that's more than two weeks work. Yeah, well, that's, that's not... I mean, don't do crime, but, like, that's not bad. Um... Charles then forced Robert into his car, and the two men went for a ride. Charles drove to a remote area outside of Lincoln, and when he was forcing Robert out of the car, there was a scuffle as Robert tried to wrestle the gun away from Charles. During the altercation, the shotgun went off, hitting Robert in the knees. Charles... Ouch. Yeah, I know, right? Charles Starkweather then took the shotgun and shot the injured Robert Culvert in the head, killing him. At the time of this first murder, there was little crime in the area, so it became big news. Charles painted his car a different color and laid low, and the authorities assumed this tragedy was committed by someone just passing through, so for the time being, Charles was not under suspicion. It was reported that the day after the robbery and murder, Charles partially admitted to Carol what he had done. He tried telling her that he had held up the gas station, but someone else had killed the attendant. Carol wasn't fooled, and somehow it brought them closer together and strengthened their bond. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. This was a relationship that would burn hot and fast and would regrettably take down others in its path. I'm sure the desperate times and increasing stress was weighing on... Why did I say that weird? An increasing stress was weighing on both Charles and Carol... Not to mention that it was said that neither of their families thought that their relationship was healthy. On January 21st, 1958, Charles wanted to do some damage control with Carol's mother, Velda, and stepfather, Marion. So he drove over to the family home. This encounter was retold by Charles himself, so all we have is his word on what occurred. He showed up to the dilapidated dwelling with a couple items he thought Velda would like and could use for the home. And with a 22 rifle plus some ammunition in hopes that he and Marion could go hunting together. This encounter did not go as Charles had planned, and Velda told him that she didn't want him to see Carol anymore. This led to a loud argument and Marion literally kicking Charles out of the home. Apparently, Charles drove to a payphone to call Marion's place of employment. He claimed that Marion was sick and wouldn't be in for a few days then returned to the home and waited for Carol to get home from school. Charles told Carol about the fight he had with her parents, and she went in and started arguing with her mother. In the background, Carol's two-year-old baby half-sister, Betty Jean, was crying. Charles went in the house and Velda supposedly flipped out, hitting him and screaming that he had impregnated her daughter. 
This is when Charles said he grabbed that 22 rifle that he had brought earlier, which I'm just going to say triggers in general for the next little bit. Marion, the stepfather, allegedly came in the room at this time wielding a claw hammer, and Charles shot him in the head. Um, Charles, after that, claimed that Velda started at him with a knife, so he shot her in the face and then hit her in the head a few times with the butt of the rifle. Betty Jean was yelling and crying, obviously upset at the trauma and commotion happening in her home. Charles claimed that he picked up the knife that Velda had grabbed and threw it at the child. But reports stated, um, excuse me, reports state that Betty Jean died of strangulation and stabbing. How old is Betty Jean? Two. The fuck? Mm Mm-hmm. Together, Charles and Carol dragged her mother's body to the outhouse and forced her into the toilet opening. They put she wasn't dead. Oh, no, she had she was been. she was okay. dead, but just to move her body out of the house. They put Betty Jean in a box and took the box out to the outhouse as well, but they dumped Marion's body in the chicken coop. They cleaned up the blood in disarray and reportedly spent the evening drinking Pepsi and eating potato chips. They stayed in the scene of <laughs> They stayed in the scene of the crime for nearly a week, buying milk and bread on credit every day from the milkman, with Charles going to the grocery store for any other necessary items. Visitors tried to stop by the house, but Carol had posted a crude sign that said, Stay away. Everybody is sick with the flu. And flu was misspelled. And I, I spaced it weird because she spaced it. Like, she didn't say away. She put a way. Um, the uneducatedness coming out. Mm-hmm. Even Marion's boss tried to stop by, but Carol told him that her stepfather was so sick that he was bedridden. After many visitors, lots of doubts, and even a couple prior visits by the police... It wasn't until Carol's grandmother was extremely suspicious that the authorities finally searched the property on January 27th and discovered the murdered family. But Charles and Carol had already fled the home. The couple had driven to nearby... The couple. The, well, <laughs> the couple had driven to nearby Bennett, Nebraska, to the farmhouse of a 70-year-old man named August Meyer. He was a family friend of the Starkweathers, and Charles had hunted on his land before. It's said that Charles shot August in the head and then wrapped him in a blanket and put the body in an outbuilding. The fugitive couple took the money and guns they found in the home, ate, and then slept overnight. The next morning, Charles's vehicle got stuck in the muddy road as they were leaving August Meyer's property. They left the vehicle behind but took the guns with them. Two unlucky teenagers, Robert Jensen and Carol King, saw the couple stopped and offered them a ride. Charles and Carol got in, after which Charles forced Robert to drive to an abandoned storm cellar. There, Robert was shot multiple times in the head and Carol was shot once. Carol? Yeah. The girlfriend. Wait. Uh, Robert and Carol. Oh. Yeah. Two Carols. That is fucked up. I didn't even notice that because they're they're spelled differently. The bad Carol is C-A-R-I-L. Wait. C-A-R- I-L. Carol. Instead of Carol. Which is weird. So, like, when I'm seeing it, like, it didn't even cross my mind that it's the fucking same. (laughs) Robert was shot multiple times in the head, 
and Carol King was shot once and stabbed multiple times in the abdomen and pubic area. Carol King was reportedly found half naked, but no evidence of sexual assault was found. As much as these two seemed in it together, they also had a lot of he said, she said, and he did, she did when it comes to the specifics of these crimes. So it's kind of a wishy-washy on it, but on January 28th, the couple took Robert's car and drove back to Lincoln to an affluent part of town that Charles was familiar with from his garbage truck days. They went to and entered the home of wealthy industrialist C. Lauer Ward and his wife Clara. Mr. Ward went by Lauer instead of his first initial. Kind of like Tilmer. Mm-hmm. T. Eugene. I'm like, what the fuck was his first name? T. Eugene. <laughs> the the, the douchebag, the guy. Um, Lauer wasn't home at the time. Just Clara and the Ward's maid, Lillian Fensel. Lillian answered the door and was greeted with a gun. After Charles and Carol gained access to the home, Charles assured Lillian and Clara nothing bad would happen. He ordered Clara to make him breakfast. He reveled the moment. He, a poor, unemployed garbage man, having breakfast cooked for and served to him by one of the richest women in Lincoln. At around 1 p.m., Clara asked if she could be excused to change her shoes. She took a little too long for Charles's liking, so he went after her to see what was going on. Supposedly, she had armed herself with a twenty-two and fired at Charles, but missed. He attacked her with a knife, killing her. Charles. So she had a gun and he had a knife. I mean, you know, she was supposedly that he was shot at and he killed her in self-defense. That was said a lot in this research and like even people were like well he claimed that this was self-defense or this was that fuzzy break into somebody's home well not force your way into force your way in Mm. you don't get to claim self-defense you don't live there i mean yeah that's very true charles and carol looted the home of jewelry and other valuables loading up their vehicle before lauer got home A copy of the Lincoln Journal newspaper arrived at the Ward home about 5.30 p.m., and Charles reportedly claimed, Hey, Carol, get a load of this. We're stars. We made the front page of the journal. Shortly after, Laura arrived home. He grappled with Charles, but to no avail, as Charles shot and killed Laura in his own home. Then there was the matter of the maid, Lillian. One of the sources I saw said that she was tied to a bed and stabbed to death charles said carol did it carol said charles did it the couple loaded up the ward's 1956 packard with the stolen items and hastily headed west to leave nebraska the murders in the ward home were big news within the county causing police to go door to door searching for those at fault The Wards had even been friends with Nebraska's governor, so news spread and a major manhunt began. The fugitive couple wanted to switch vehicles as the Packard was being sought out. On the outskirts of Douglas, Wyoming, which is 523 miles from Lincoln. They made it a good way. They made it all the way to Wyoming, so I, I put in here. I don't know why they figured they needed to change vehicles at that point. Right. Like... For real, like literally all the way across Nebraska. The, the long way. <laughs> like, I had to you're look it up. You're in Wyoming now. Yeah, you're in Wyoming. But yes, 
523 miles, they discovered a sleeping traveling salesman in his Buick that was parked along the highway. The salesman's name was Merle Collison. It looks like collision that's spelled wrong, and I had to keep, like, reminding myself, no, it's not collision, it's Collison. Unfortunately, Merle was shot and killed for his car and shoved down into his own passenger floorboard. This car, though, would prove to be the undoing of the two lovebirds. It had a push-pedal emergency brake, with which Charles was unfamiliar. When he tried to drive away, with Merle's dead body on the floor and Carol in the back seat, the car stalled. While he was attempting to restart the vehicle, another passerby stopped to help. Charles threatened this person with a gun, telling the the Good Samaritan, help me release the emergency brake or I'll shoot you. This poor, nice person saw the dead body in the car and began to wrestle over the weapon with Charles. By sheer luck, a deputy sheriff named William Romer saw the cars and pulled off to see if they needed assistance. Carol took this opportunity to get out of the vehicle and approach the sheriff, saying she needed help. She totally bailed on Charles and said he was the killer. Or said he was Save a killer. Save yourself. Charles got back in the Packard, so not the one with the not the one they were trying to jack from Merle. Mm-hmm. Um, got back in the Packard and took off. Deputy Sheriff Romer ordered a roadblock and began his pursuit of Charles in the stolen Packard. What are the chances mm. that in Wyoming mm-hmm. that this road probably I don't know. Mm. I'm not never been to Wyoming. Mm-hmm. Wasn't alive then. Mm-hmm. But I'm guessing it's probably not a well-traveled road. I mean, it's a highway, but there were a lot less roads. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. less routes that you could take. Less options to try to get away so on. So maybe it was well-traveled because... It was one of the only ways okay. to travel. Just the fact that a deputy, deputy stopped by up at that exact time. I know. I was like, God damn. But yeah, less less ways to be gotcha. driving okay. about. The chase exceeded speeds of 100 miles per hour, and the rear window of the Packard was shot out by authorities. Then Charles suddenly stopped the vehicle in the middle of the highway. Officers pulled up behind him and cautiously waited to see what they'd encounter next. Charles got out of the car and, after bumbling around for a bit, finally got on the ground like the authorities ordered. Why did he abruptly surrender, you might be wondering? He thought he was shot and bleeding to death. A county sheriff on the scene was quoted as saying, He thought he was bleeding to death. That's why he stopped. That's the kind of yellow son of a bitch he is. In reality, a piece of glass cut his ear when the rear window was shot out, resulting in a very superficial wound. Oh, he just felt the blood and yeah, it he was like warm and panicked. Yeah, yeah, dumbass. Yeah, Charles and Carol were both charged with first degree murder and murder while committing a robbery. Though Carol claimed she was innocent, excuse me. Though Carol She's claimed she was an innocent victim held captive by Charles. Also, despite her young age, she was tried as an adult in Nebraska at the time. If convicted, they would face the electric chair. Or Jeez. They could face the electric chair. Excuse me. Fuck around and find out. Mm-hmm. Charles Starkweather's trial began on May 5th, 1958. His defense entered a plea of innocent by reason of insanity. 
despite Charles adamantly stating he was sane. To him and his family, being considered sane, excuse me, being considered insane was worse than being a murderer. At first, Charles said Carol had nothing to do with the murders, but as time went on, he realized she was portraying that she was involved only as a victim, not his girlfriend. Charles then said Carol was responsible for or involved in some of the murders, also stating that she could have gotten away multiple times if she had wanted. Charles was found guilty and the jury asked for the dental... The dental? The dental. The dentalty. The jury asked for the death penalty to be given. Charles Starkweather was executed by electric chair at 12.01 a.m. on June 25, 1959 at Nebraska State Penitentiary in Lincoln. Remember that time I couldn't say penitentiary for the mm-hmm. fucking life of me? The other day, I forgot how to form the word geographically. Mm-hmm. Couldn't do it. I knew what I wanted to say. I'm like, geography. Geography. Geog- geography? My coworkers were looking at me like I was... Like I was having a stroke. Tran was just like, geographically? I'm like, yep, that, that would be the word I want. I had a problem with the word analysis mm. this last week. I just, I, I looked at it and I looked at it and like, I don't know how to say this. Analysis. And also I'm like, an analysis. I'm like, oh yeah, analysis. I'm like, why was that hard? <laughs> um, but electric chairs, did you, I heard last week mm. from a TV show, mm. so it might not be true, mm. that they would blindfold like the inmates getting electrocuted because their eyes is yeah their, the eyes is their eyes would like pop out yeah yeah is that true I think so ooh yeah ooh yeah wouldn't be a good time that's for sure what state was it that literally last year was like they their death penalty they the shooting um, firing squad really that got shut back down I don't know it's a southern state well, I imagine that. But yeah, the firing squad for execution mm-hmm. came back. And then someone was supposed to be put in front of the firing squad and then it got like shut down or uh, I don't know why me. you need a firing squad. Well, it's so, let's say there's seven in the firing squad. Only one of them would have a real bullet. The other ones would be blanks. So none of them would know who actually killed them. Oh, and it would so act like it fired, but you wouldn't know which where the bullet actually came out oh, of. Oh, got it, got it, got it. So mm-hmm. it's not weighing on you that you're the... Mm-hmm. The, the executioner, that, if you nope. will. Nope, I wouldn't like that. Well, I, 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 I mean, that's why you wouldn't apply for that job. <laughs> uh, okay, sure. Touche, touche. saying. Yeah, I did a project on different types of death penalties back in like freshman year i'm strange i'm very much like elena on on some of that it's just interesting it is it's in in an obviously very morbid way no like pun intended on the morbid but it's just like excuse me really you would tie arms and legs of a person each to a different horse and have them pulled apart Ooh, that's fucked yeah that's quartered by horses that's what that is Oh, yeah. Where's that at? Eh, I was in, like, England and shit. And, like, mm. or, like way long time ago. Yeah. Um, side notes. It's one of the things we do best here. Um, back to the story. He was buried in 
Wyuka Cemetery in Lincoln. I'm not sure if I said that right, and I apologize. Which is, unfortunately, the same resting place as Carol's mother, half-sister, and stepfather, as well as Lauer and Clara Ward. Oh, why? Right? Like, Isn't there, like, a Lincoln cemetery? couldn't have been that small then, wasn't there, yeah, another fucking place that they could have put no, him? No, like, wasn't there a cemetery strictly for, for inmates? inmates? You would also think that, but I don't know. Despite her insistence of innocence, Carol Fugate was found guilty in November of 1958. Since she was only 14 years old at that time, she was given a life sentence instead of the electric chair like her former boyfriend. She was sent to Nebraska Correctional Center for Women, where she served her sentence until she was paroled in June of 1976. That's not very long. 18 years. So a life sentence. Not even 18 years. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, life sentence with possibility of parole at X amount of years or whatever. After her release, she reportedly changed her name and moved to Lansing, Michigan. She worked as a janitor at a hospital, never married, and refused to speak of the murders. I was pleased to find that there are pictures of all 11 victims that can be found. We'll share on Instagram and whatnot. Obituaries weren't done then as they are now, so I don't have little summaries of their their lives to share with you, but at least we can see their faces and hear their names. Um, Because again, we are trying to remember the victims in these stories or, or learn from them if at the very least. Which the victims, again, Robert Colvert, 21, gas station attendant. Marion Bartlett, 57, who's Carol's stepfather. Velda Bartlett, 35, Carol's mother. Betty Jean Bartlett, two years old, daughter of Marion and Velda. August Meyer, 70, Starkweather family friend. Robert Jensen, 17, and Carol King, 16, a teenage couple. C. Lauer Ward, 48, industrialist. Clara Ward, 46, wife of Lauer. Lillian Fensel, 51, the Ward's maid. And Merle Collison, 37, traveling salesman. At the beginning, I mentioned that the story provided for some cultural influences. And I found these little tidbits interesting. When he was younger, Stephen King reportedly was affected after reading about this case even modeling a character in his book, The Stand, after Charles Starkweather. Bruce Springsteen's song, Nebraska, which is the title song of his solo album of 1982, is based on the case, which I, I, I fact-checked some of these, and the, so I was like, really? I'm like, really? I want to make sure. Like, so I didn't make this shit up. For real. So he has an album based off of this case. An album that the title song is based on it. Yep. And it's a first person account. Like, I didn't listen to it. I want to. I just didn't yet. Um, The 13th Step. It's the title of an episode of Criminal Minds, which is season six, episode 13. If anybody wants to know. Six, episode 13. Okay. Depicts a North Dakota and Montana newlywed couple on a killing spree similar to the Starkweather Fugate case. Billy Joel mentions the Starkweather homicide in his song, We Didn't Start the Fire. Really? Yo, I couldn't fucking tell you 
17 words of that song besides we didn't start the fire which most of the time i sing ryan started the fire because i fucking watched the office (laughs) (laughs) i had to look it up and like read through and i was like reading the word like lyrics and i'm like no this is not the purpose i'm just trying to find where it says dark weather and it does it says dark weather homicide really yeah i've never ever there's some weird fucking lyrics in that song no the lyrics besides we didn't start the fire, unlike you. Ryan started the fire! Which <laughs> you did. Yep. The Starkweather Fugate case inspired films such as The Sadist from 1963, Badlands, 1973, True Romance, 1993, Natural Born Killers, 1994, Starkweather, 2004, among others. Wow. There's an American metal band named Starkweather, that took its name from the spree killer. Don't glamorize his name. Stop. That's what some of... I'm not not condoning it by any means. It's just... It's not the first time it's happened, and I'm sure it won't be the last time that it happened. Right. Um, And then this last tidbit is my favorite, which is... I hate saying positive sounding words like that about cases like this sure it's always one of those like that's not how i mean it but like you know what i mean the 1996 peter jackson supernatural comedy horror film the frighteners starring michael j fox no oh you're killing me i fucking love that movie dude i fucking love that movie okay one of the central plot elements is a stark weather inspired killer named johnny bartlett which, if that last name rings a bell, Carol's stepfather's last name was Bartlett. Um, so Johnny Bartlett goes on a similar murder spree, complete with a kidnapped female accomplice. The murderer, who is played by Jake Busey, um, committed these crimes soon after Starkweather's spree, like in the movie timeline, and was inspired to try and outdo Starkweather's number of victims. He even shouts out, one more than Starkweather, in delight during one scene. And as soon as I read that tidbit about it, I'm like, I fucking remember that. And I never knew what it meant. I just thought it was movie made up bullshit. Mm -hmm. But I don't normally like my comedy mixed with my horror. But like, it's a good one. It's super good. Uh, Michael J. Fox and his wife were in a car accident where he nearly died and his wife did die but then he since he nearly died he could like see dead people so he like makes friends with some ghosts to um yeah but like fun if that makes sense like he makes friends with these ghosts um since he can see them and obviously he can't pay the ghosts but the ghosts go and haunt people and then the people hire michael j fox to get rid of the ghosts so it's a little con man type deal. Okay. Yeah. So it's like kind of funny and then it's got some some twists and stuff. But it's like, I really like that movie. And I was like, oh, fuck, dude. Oh, yeah. That is the wild case of Charles and Carol and the mayhem they yeah, performed. At 13, you shouldn't be causing any type of mayhem. But thanks, everyone. Our medias are at Hometown Homicide Podcast on pretty much everything except... Twitter, at Ope Murder, O-P-E, Murder. 
and submit some like true crime stories, ghosty stories, stories you want to know if we can find anything more about at podcast at hometownhomicide.com. Bam. Check out our friend Lance's um, mini series podcast about his late grandmother, tilmer.podbean.com. I think is what it was. I'll link it in the thing. I'm sorry. And now um, you can also find us on Amazon Music. Oh, yeah, that. Hey. So, you know, you have Spotify, Apple, all that jazz. Um, But now we have added Amazon Music. And I think Pandora, Samsung Podcast, which actually has a lot of listens to, um, which I've never heard of it. But I digress. Um, But we're out there on everything. Everything. We out there. So, all in all, especially because it's getting darker earlier, so keep your head on a swivel. And uh, remember, we want to tell stories to you, not about you, so stay safe. And this was Hometown Homicide. Homicide.